Welcome back, everyone, to part two of Fan Classic and to another episode of Geology on the Rocks, your one-stop audio shop for all things rocks and rocking out. So a brief overview of what will be going on this evening, this episode, will include closing out the episode by picking up where we left off, and that is going to include Diagenesis. We will wrap things up and close things out with another segment of That Freaking Rocks. A big thank you to all of our listeners out there for allowing us to be played between your earballs each week and for sp- spending your time with us each week. Blah. <laughs> and if you would like to reach out to us, whether it be for episode ideas, answers you're wanting questioned, if you fancy being a guest or just want to tell us about all the times that we are wrong, you can reach out to us at geologyotr at gmail.com or you can find us on Instagram at geologyontherockspodcast.com. So it looks like things are squared away over here. So without further ado to all of you over there, I will pick you up in progress. All right, sir. I'm ready. Dude, that was the longest tea ever. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Okay. So finally on to that big fancy worded topic that I think we've been alluding to for the, the past couple of weeks, but it's the diagenesis of silicoclastic sedimentary rocks. And all this talk about the, the silicoclastic has led us to this moment, I believe. And these particular groups of rocks form initially as unconsolidated deposits of what we've been talking about is gravels last week was sand or today like we talked about our mud. So their mineral and chemical compositions of these deposits are really going to be functions of a complex system of conditions and processes, including source rock lithology. We can think of sediment transport and the environmental conditions to which they were deposited in. Right. Well, we haven't talked about is what happens to these sediments once they are deposited, right? So yeah. these, these newly deposited sediments are characterized by, well, they're going to be loosely packed, uncemented fabrics, high porosities, and high interstitial water content. Okay. Yeah, so as these sediments are deposited, it doesn't mean that it, its journey's end there by no means. No, no, and you're right. And you can imagine that as sedimentation occurs in, in actively subsiding basins, should I say, the, the older sediments are progressively and continuously buried by the younger sediments to depths that may even reach, you know, tens of kilometers in depth. And with that burial, the sediment starts to change physically and chemically in response to pressure from the overburdened weight right, of overlying sediment. Yeah. And downward, the sediments experience an increase in temperature and also react to changes in pore water composition. <laughs> it almost reminds me of the, the what the Queen song, under pressure, da, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. under pressure. So yeah, so these, these changes act in concert with one another to bring about this compaction and cementation, or what is commonly referred to as this process of lithification, which ultimately leads, leads to the converting of these unconsolidated sediments into a consolidated sedimentary rock. <laughs> yeah, so the unconsolidated gravel, it, it lithifies into conglomerates, like we were talking about earlier, but unconsolidated sand, it'll lithify into sandstone. Yep. 
and siliciclastic mud is then hardened into mudstone or shale. This process of lithification is accompanied by physical, mineralogical, and chemical changes. Yeah, and and I think a good example of this is what happens during compaction. So so that overburden pushes water out and squishes the unconsolidated grains closer and closer together, which is really going to greatly reduce the the overall porosity. And then the porosity can further be reduced by the precipitation of cement um, into these pore spaces, right? So yeah, it, and interestingly, mineralogically in this process is that minerals that are chemically stable at you know your low surface temperatures and in the pre- presence of like uh, your environmental pore waters become altered at higher burial temperatures. Yeah, and that'll change that pore water composition. So some minerals may be completely dissolved; they may be partially or completely replaced by other minerals. So what we're seeing is that porosity, mineralogy, chemical compositions may all be changed at various degrees during burial diagenesis. Yeah, and then this diagenesis is really going to be the final stage in the process of these rocks that begin with what we've talked about is the weathering of the source rock and continues through sediment transport, deposition, and burial. So to properly interpret, I guess, the provenance or the, you know, the original of the rock and the transport and then the depositional history of sedimentary rocks, we must recognize and distinguish among features of sediments that were present at the time of deposition and those features that resulted from burial alteration. So our first distinction of this idea is that diagenesis takes place at temperatures higher than those of the weathering environment, but below those that produce metamorphism. Right. And there, there's no real clear boundary marker between the realms of diagenesis and metamorphism. However, we, we commonly consider diagenesis to occur at temperatures below like the 250 degrees Celsius mark. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's right. And also diagenesis can begin almost immediately after deposition. So it doesn't have to wait an X amount of time, right? So sediment is still on the ocean or other basin floor and may continue through deep burial and even uplift. And, and when the sediment is buried, it subjects the sediment to conditions of pressure and temperature, which are driving factors also in metamorphism, right, that are markedly different from those that exist in the depositional environment themselves. So, yeah, the rocks themselves are like what I'd like to imagine students, <laughs> like around finals time, yeah. and they start becoming like put under pressure, and this is known as geostatic pressure. Um, yeah, another fancy. But we also see an increase in hydrostatic pressure or fluid pressure at these temperatures. Then chemically, the salinities of pore water commonly increase with increasing burial depth too. And I I know characterizing pore water in general terms is I, it's really quite difficult. Due Due to each basin being different from other basins. But we do see increases in abundance of important mineral forming ions, such as your SI4, your AL3s, your, your calcium 2 pluses, your potassium, your magnesium and sodium, and even your bicarbonate uh, mm-hmm. polyatomic ions. So hashtag for your water yeah. chemistries. <laughs> there you go, man. Yeah. So I know various different authors in studies have suggested these sediments, they go through three to six stages. Yeah, of I mean, of, of course, like, why wouldn't they do it any other yeah, way? Like, <laughs> like, okay, it right. can be three, two, six uh, stages. Yeah. <laughs> 
But I, I think that most widely accepted stages of diagenesis are proposed by Chiquette and Prey with the uh, AO diagenesis. That refers to the earliest stage, and that takes place at very shallow depth. It can be anywhere from a few meters to tens of meters, largely under the conditions of the decisional environment. Yeah. Then the mesodiagenesis is diagenesis that takes place during deeper burial. Um, under conditions of increasing temperature and pressure, that you're going to have your your change in pore water compositions. And then even as we go further, the telodiagenesis, that's going to refer to late stage diagenesis. That's going to accompany or follow uplift of previous buried sediments and that will pull them up into the regime of meteoric waters. Yeah, and then I think meteoric waters meaning water derived from precipitation, right? So this yeah. includes water from lakes, rivers, ice melts, which all originate from, mm-hmm. like, it can be indirect too. So, And also the, the sediments that are still deeply buried in depositional basins have not, of course, undergone telogenesis or telogenesis. It's I, however you want to pronounce it. Like, I don't, I don't, I haven't heard it enough to make a, a formative opinion opinion on it, but it's just how it comes out when I read it. But, and then, uh, and I want to say in more recent times, I do know that I think that they have, we have taken out the, the dia in those words. And we, and I think from, or I think what you're going to hear us refer to them is uh, mesogenesis, eogenesis, and telogenesis. Yeah, that, that sounds better, right? Like, yeah, no, I, I think it does. Like, I think that dia yeah. is just, you're adding more syllables that, that need yeah. to be in there. <laughs> yeah. Well, how about we talk about the major diagenic processes? And and their effect. What do you think? Yeah, let's. I say let's okay. let's do it, Brian. <laughs> we'll brave this journey together. <laughs> yes, yes, we will. Oh, so for shallow burial or aogenesis, the changes that are going to take place they include reworking of sediments by organisms, so your bioturbation, minor compaction, grain repacking, and then then there are going to be some mineralogical changes. And I, and I think bioturbidation or ty- bioturbation is, I, I think it's neat. So you, you have the organisms reworking the sediment at or near the, the depositional interface through various ways. Like, you, they, mm-hmm. you know, they're crawling if they're on the, like the epipelagic. Then you have the burrowing yeah. uh, and the sediment ingest activities that have impact on the rock. I think that's all fascinating. And, and it does it so in a way that it, by destroying primary sedimentary structures such as your laminations and it creates in their place a variety of uh, traces of this bioturbation. Yeah. And so I, I've seen a lot of this and it's like, um, you'll see this, like we call it modeled bedding. Yeah. That'll be like, you may just see this as a color change, uh, but it'll have a shape to it. it. It's pretty cool. But so your modeled bedding, you will see burrows, even tracks and trails. Nice. Uh, yeah, organic reworking commonly has it has little effect on the mineralogical and chemical composition of sediments, but on a whole, aogenetic processes are they're going to be shallow and only undergo slight compaction. Okay, yeah, and then early diagenesis does bring about some important mineralogical changes in siliciclastic sediments, and most involve precipitation of new minerals. In- environment is going to be crucial to to what minerals form, so. In a marine depositional environment, uh, you're going to have a reducing environment, low oxygen, right? Yeah. So formation of pyrite is really characteristic because you can even see this in lakes even, uh, not even just like your marine, but you'll have sulfate, the minerals, like you can even have gypsum. Yeah. That'll dissolve 
and the compounds will sink. And so as you stratify the lake in the deeper portions, you're going to want to form pyrite, which is a sulfide yep. instead. And so it's, it's really cool to see that even like in lakes around here, but it can form cement or pyrite can replace many other materials such as even woody fragments. And then, I mean, just to bring it back to the, the, the triple junction, there's, there's a key example there too. We can see that, that formation of the, the mm-hmm. sulfate and the sulfide between the, the gypsum and the, and the pyrite, just in that lake example, which I think, I mean, yeah. I think it's cool, but anyways, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. I'm scratching my back. Ow. Oh my God. Oh, I scratched my back and I ripped my finger. Not, well, it didn't rip. Did you rip your shirt? No, my fingernail You're bent so upwards. Muscly. <laughs> my fingernail bent upwards. Gross. Okay. Oh, yeah. So some other important reactions that occur include the formation of chlorite, glauconite, your greenish iron silicate grains. Mm-hmm. You have illite smectite clays and iron oxides and oxygenated pore waters. An example of this would be kind of like your red clays on the deep ocean floor and then precipitation of case bar overgrowth, quartz overgrowth, and carbonate cements. I know in... Um non-marine environment where oxidizing conditions, they commonly prevail little pyrite forms. Instead, your iron ox- oxides, such as gerthite, hematite, those are going to be commonly produced. Also, the formation of kaolinitic clay minerals and precipitation of quartz and calcite cements, they're going to take place. Hey, I have a I have a, a dad joke for you, Brian. Okay. What happens to the R, or do you, goodness, I'm butchering this because, I mean, it's better in, uh, in word format. It's like, like, do you pronounce the first R in February? Uh, Probably not because girth, girthite borrows it. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Okay. So February, do you say that first R? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's I, girthite is borrowing it. Bar, girthite <laughs> borrows the R that you don't say in February. Something yeah. roundabout. Okay. That's dumb. That's dumb. And it, I just way to go, James. Off, off the I dude, I just made that up off the the fly of my wow, pantalones. Maybe if you say it enough, people will catch on. Yeah, but I don't think they. Oh, so girthite is spelt G O E T H I T E. Yeah, but it's and I, so is it gut? Yeah, it sounds so weird not to say girthite. No, but that's what that's all I've ever heard it. I don't think anyone yeah. is like go with it. <laughs> Go with it. Go with it. Go with it, my son. Be a mineral. Go with it and hematite. Anyways, all right. Uh, That's okay. All right. February girthite. All right. So unlike your eogenesis, so we can transition into the mesogenesis. So during deep burial or mesogenesis, compaction is king. So compaction really is this load pressure caused by deeper burial. And this process brings about significant increase in the tightness of grain packing with that loss in porosity and thinning of beds. So again, it is this increase in pressure at contact between grains and this increases the solubility of the grains at that contact that lead to partial dissolution of the grains and this process is what we like to call pressure solution that or chemical compaction yeah and yeah and this this further reduces porosity and an increased bed thinning so under the influence of physical and chemical compaction aided by 
the cementation we talked about, the primary porosity of both sands and muds is reduced dramatically during deep burial. Yeah, and then this compaction also causes bending or flexing of the grains, such as your micas, or squeezing of soft grains, such as rock fragments. And I, and I know that we see the, the mechanical compaction and pressure solutions are the cause of porosity loss in quartzo sandstones, mainly at burial depths of, I want to say, uh, kind of right around like two kilometers. And because of the combined effect of compaction, pressure solution, and a small amount of quartz cement produces these really stable grain package arrangements or mm. grain packing arrangements. And plastic. Yeah, that is fantastic. <laughs> yeah, it really is. No, but when we talk about the chemical processes and changes for mesogenesis. Remember that an increase in temp of 10 degrees Celsius during burial can cause chemical reactions to even double or triple. So That's the mineral phases, yeah, like I wouldn't think that, but I mean, these mineral phases that were stable in that original depositional environment, they are going to become increasingly unstable during deep burial. We can think of it as like increasing temperatures really favor the formation of these more dense, less hydrous minerals and causes increase in solubility of most common minerals, except the carbonate minerals, which is quite the opposite of the silicate minerals that show an increased tendency to dissolve with greater burial depths. Hmm. And and temperatures. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. So deep burial is where we start to see calcite being readily precipitated. Right. And then how about this then? So we know as organic carbonate materials are buried deeply, that we see that they tend to decompose. And then that, that calcium carbonate during that deep burial diagenesis releases CO2. And then what does the increase in CO2 do? It actually hmm. lowers the pH, which means it's becoming more acidic because what pH is the, the negative log of the hydrogen ions available. Yeah. So the lower the, the the number, the more hydrogen is in there and it becomes more acidic. So what in turn does that do? This will increase the dissolution of calcium carbonate at deeper depths of mesogenesis. Yeah, and due to the so increase in temp and pressure and partial dissolution of quartz, that allows for those poor waters to become enriched and can be deposited. Yeah, and then we won't get into the mess of, and as you go further down the organic calcium carbonate, anyways, it leads to the dissolution, blah, blah, blah. So then a little bit about the cementation, which is referring to the precipitation of minerals into the pore space of sediment. Thereby, again, we're going to be reducing porosity and bringing about lithification of all the sediments. Cementation can be much more extensive. Cement can eventually fill most of the pore spaces in, let's say, a sandstone. In other cases, cement might be concentrated around some object of commonly like a fossil, fossil fragment, which it acts as a nucleus for cementation. Yeah, nucleation. Yeah. I think that uh, I think, yeah, when when the, the cement builds up around an object, it creates this kind of globular mass, which is known what we call as concretions. And in mm -hmm. rare cases, which looks pretty cool, in my opinion, is when calcite actually crystallizes as large crystals that envelop numerous sand grains, forming this so-called sand crystal. Yeah, that's, that's freaking awesome. Quartz precipitated as overgrowth around existing detrital quartz grains is the most common type of silica cement, and it's typical for most quartz RNA. Less yep. common would be like your 
precipitation of microcrystalline quartz cement or your or opal can also fill in. But it's favored by high concentrations of silica in poor waters and usually happens at low temperature. Yeah, and then some of the silica, I believe, is supplied locally by pressure solution or by dissolution of silicious skeletal of or skeletons of fossil organisms such as your diatoms and radiolarians. Radiolarians are my favorite. They're so cool. I told you about like my, my next, my, I want to work on like a sleeve that have those, those micro fossils. Cause you know, they're like very, uh, symmetric, symmetrical. Yeah. And I want a whole bunch of them on my arms. So yeah, they, they look awesome. The little spikies. Yeah. That's what I call them. Well, so, so back to silica can be imported from other areas of a basin during episodes of fluid flow related to the, the deep burial mineral dehydration or or your tectonic t- activities. Yeah. Quartz cement is particularly likely to occur in a sedimentary basin where the waters are circulated downward deeply into the basin. Okay. And the dissolved silica at higher temperatures is going to rise upward and cool along the basin edges. Okay, so I, I think that makes sense. And then yeah. the the dissolution of framework grains uh, or framework silicate grains and previously formed carbonate cements may occur during deep burial under conditions that are essentially the opposite of those required for cementation. For example, carbonate minerals are dissolved in cooler pore waters with high carbon dioxide partial pressures, right? So high carbon yeah. dioxide partial pressures. Yeah. Rock fragments, so bad in like a low stability type silicate min- mineral, such as your plagioclase, your pyroxenes for sure, amphiboles, they, they're going to dissolve that are results of increasing burial temperatures and the presence of organic acids in pore waters. Yeah. And so the selective dissolution of less stable framework grains or parts of a grain during diagenesis is called intrastratal solution. And that, I think, man, you keep coming up with all the SAT words of the day, (laughs) (laughs) right? So that's an SAT word if I've ever heard one. (laughs) So in the field of, I guess, in a little bit where I have more comfortability, I don't know if that's a word, comfortability talking about is, is more of the uh, in the petroleum geology aspect of is this idea of porosity is of relative importance to I guess that whole field and then the dissolution of framework grains and cements increase porosity particularly in sandstones right and have come to understand that much of the sandstones porosity that existed below a burial depth of about three kilometers is known as secondary porosity and the secondary mm. porosity was created by this dissolution process that you were talking about. So you, the stuff we're talking about, the mineral replacement, that's going to refer to the process whereby one mineral dissolves and another is precipitated in its place, basically simultaneously. Yeah. Replacement appears to take place usually without any volume change between the replace and replacing mineral. Yeah. And then I think a good example of this would be kind of like what, like petrified wood and the, the textures can be yeah. preserved as we see in the replaced wood with replacing chert. And mm-hmm. then I guess some others that come to mind um, of replacements would be like carbonate minerals replaced by the microcrystalline quartz. That's just chert. Replacement of chert by carbonate minerals. Why not just go back and forth <laughs> Depending on where we're at, right? Are we? Yeah. And then like replacement of feldspars and quartz by carbonate minerals and the replacement of feldspars by clay minerals and so forth and so forth. <laughs> we we should mention that uh, replacement may be full or it could be partial. Correct. Yeah. So complete replacement destroys the complete identity 
of the original minerals or rock fragments. And that, that gives the biased view of the original mineralogy of the rock. Yeah. And then porosities also may be affected by replacement, particularly replacement of framework grains by clay minerals, which tend to plug pore spaces and reduce that porosity. In addition to these common replacement processes, one kind of clay mineral may alter to another during diagenesis. And this is smectite clays may alter to illite at temperatures ranging from anywhere from, I guess, roughly around 55 to 200 degrees Celsius with concomitant uh, release of water. And the process is referred to as shale dewatering. Mm, yeah. So smectite, it, it can also alter to chlorite within the same temp. Yeah. Um, and kale and I alters to illite at temperatures between like the 120, 150 degrees Celsius. And it's these diagenetic processes that are believed to account for that trend of the clay mineral changes with relative abundance with age. Yeah. So when we see like all that, the when we, because we typically say what, like the feldspar is weather into like the clay minerals. And this right. is really explaining yeah. like why. Right. So then lastly, let's uh, briefly talk about the, the telegenesis. And this is just sedimentary rocks that have undergone deep burial diagenesis that may have subsequently been uplifted by mountain building activities and unroofed by erosion. And then these processes bring mineral assemblages, including new minerals formed during mesogenesis into an environment of lower temperature and pressure and in which mesogenic pore waters are flushed and replaced by oxygen-rich, acidic, meteoric waters of low salinity. Again, under these change conditions, previously formed cement and framework grains may undergo dissolution. So that creates secondary porosity, but it can alter the framework grains to become clay minerals. So you have your, your case bar to kale and ice, right? And yeah. that'll reduce porosity. Alternatively, depending on the nature of the pore water, silica or carbonate cement can be precipitated. And other changes may include oxidation of what your iron carbonate minerals and other iron bearing minerals to form mm -hmm. iron oxides. And then you have the oxidation of sulfides, which have your pyrite to mm -hmm. for sulfate minerals such as gypsum. If you had a calcium, well, if you had a calcium that was present in the pore waters, and then you have dissolution of less stable minerals such as your pyroxenes and amphiboles in general. And then the, the process of telogenesis as a whole grades into those of subaerial weathering as sedimentary rocks are exposed at the surface. And then we can begin again with the, the, the weathering process, right? So um, yeah. basically, I think that's really going to do it for diagenesis of the psilocyclastics. And I think it's going to close that chapter of our, <laughs> yeah. our journey and your journey. I mean, those are, it's so basically <laughs> diagenesis is going to be that, that alteration, right? Yeah. Depending yeah. on where you're at. So, so you have that Basically. sediment and then any changes that occur is uh, diagenesis, yeah. I think. Unless you go full-blown metamorphism, which is what you just, yeah. Yeah. And then we get to back, yeah. then we get back to the, <laughs> the telegenesis, right? And then it, it recycles yeah. itself. And then that's where yeah. we get like the, the first order, second order and all that stuff. But right. that is for another discussion. I think we should close things off with a little... Um, for this, that freaking rocks, I think I got, I, let me pull it up, Brian. Cause I think what we're going to do is we're going to do kind of like a March madness kind of, 
uh, evaluation of bands. So the, the uh, I guess, 2000 era kind of, these are, I don't know, a lot of these bands, I'm just like, oh, I can't choose between them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So I'm going to take notes on this too. So if we come to, okay. so we're going to do this as a, as, as geolo- like us together, we're going to come. Cause I know we've done this before. We've had our own kind of, uh, our own say. So if we ever are, are deadlocked on a decision, we are going to flip a coin to advance to the next round. And we thought that, uh, we would do it each week. We do uh, a bracket. So I meant like a quarter. So it's quadrant anyways, mm-hmm. once it gets down to, we'll, we'll figure it out as we go, but we're going to, <laughs> uh, we're we're going to call this uh, bracket one and I'm going to, I think I'll go down and list the bands and then we are going to, uh, then each one are going to compete against each other. So we have Hawthorne Heights, <laughs> yeah. Save the Day, Coheed and Cambria, Chiodos, Alexis on Fire, Rise Against, The Starting Line, Circus Survive. That's going to be um, yeah. our, our category this week. And yeah. man, oh geez. All right. So let's go ahead and I will, man. Like you, you just want to go ahead. Like, you want to go ahead and like, knock out the hard one, or save that one for last. I say we just go down the line. But okay. We, um, okay. Like are you so, just going to be like one, two, three, and then we say it? No. So I mean, um, so the 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 first matchup that we have in tonight's uh, that freaking rocks is going to be Hawthorne Heights versus Saves the Day. Saves the day. Yeah. Oh right. man. Also, just because um, we have fans in Ohio, I'm going to go Hawthorne Heights. I, I was going to go Hawthorne Heights as well. All right. So, I mean, I think that one was that pretty easy. easy. Yeah. And, <laughs> I, and I, I I think that Hawthorne Heights really had more. I listened to them a lot more than I did Saves the Day. Yeah, I did too. I, I can't even remember a Saves the Day song. I, if the only I, thing if, I remember if you, about Saves the Day is there was some chick that had Saves the Day with all threes with her AIM name. <laughs> That's what I remember of Saves the Day. All right, so winner 1A, Hawthorne Heights. Hawthorne Heights. Got it. So, Ohio. (laughs) It reminds me of what is it? The uh, the emo's not dead or that guy? Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. So, man, this one. All right. So the, the, the second <laughs> battle that we have today is Coheed and Cambria versus Chiodos. Yep. God dang it. Uh, <laughs> man. Oh, hard. so I mean, like if we're going along like the, just like this whole, I guess, vein, I don't know. Cause dang it. Cause both of these come up equally on my, my, on my, like when I'm just like, Hey, whatever music play, you know, this station yeah. and it comes on, I think about equal. I mean, man, I'm just going to go ahead. I'm going to say, uh, <laughs> you go first. <laughs> I'm going to choose Coheed and Cambria. See, uh, I'm going to go Chiodos. So, right. Well, let's give her a reason and then you can do the flip. Okay. So, so while, so Coheed, okay, you go ahead. I think Coheed has a lot more depth when it comes to it. And it doesn't necessarily mean their music's better, but it, it adds another dimension, like with the whole like comic book character kind of thing that they like base their music on, right? Yeah. And so like it feels like you're listening to a story rather than just a string of songs. Yeah, so and that, that's why I like it better. And the old dude, oh, what's what's his name? The lead guitarist with the big poofy hair. The fro. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. dude, he can play. Like, uh, oh, I went God. to go see them with uh, my best friend once, and dude, he was like wailing on the guitar, like behind his head, just like I was like, oh my <laughs> yeah. God, you're so good. Yeah. So yep. I, I, I like how I do appreciate about Coheed and Cambria. And then they, they, they have some like good rock um, album, but I, I like um, 
Was it Anthony Green, the singer for Chiodos? Like, I no, like. Oh, I forgot what his name is. It's another high pitched guy. Though. Yeah. No. What's his name? Craig Owen. Yeah, Craig Owens. Yeah. But also, I like the 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 dramaticness of the piano, and yeah. uh, and they have some really good breakdowns. And so, I mean, I, I feel like it's more of a a flavor thing. Like, I I appreciate yeah. them both, and it's very hard to. It, that's why I was just like, ah. So we're gonna have to. Dang. All right, so heads is for uh, Coheed and Cambria, and then uh, tails is going to be for Chiodos. So I'm just gonna let it hit. I'm gonna let it hit the table, and then uh, we'll see what the winner is. And it's tails, my friend. All right, well, Chiodos. All right, Chiodos, and that was that was hard. Jeez. Yeah. So they will face Hawthorne Heights. Yes. Next time. Wow. All right. So the next one will be Alexis on fire or rise again. So, um, I, this is one of the ones where I'm just like, well, I've, I know rise against, and I don't know much about Alexis on fire. So I'm going yeah. with rise against. And I'm going to go Alexis on fire because they're, they have two vocalists. One is a screamer. Is terrible, but their singer is Dallas green, who is, the uh, man behind City and Color. Okay. Who is probably one of my favorite artists of all time, and his voice is heavenly. It so is. I yeah. So we I'm do need to get a uh, on fire. We do need to go uh, do an acoustic uh, or just like acoustic songs and I guess folky music. Yeah. But so yeah. I, you bring up a good point. So um, I can't argue anything for Rise Against. So I'm going to say Alexis on Fire. Awesome. And they're going to lose there anyway. Go. They're going to lose the next <laughs> ride. They're going to lose anyway. Yeah, they are. Because they are. This, so. one, this one's, man. So it's not, I mean, it's this one's like really a no brainer. But I yeah. will, I will make some good. So this one, this one is the starting line versus Cirque Survive, and the starting line. Tell me what you thought about when you were gone, and <laughs> so that was like the anthem of like I don't know. There was like a four month period where I don't know if that's them. Yeah, no, it is, it is. <laughs> and then like that, like that song in particular, I was just like, man, this is. I did, I, I loved that song, and just it, if that is when I think of like, um, they're like, hey, Jane like you what is your vision of like playing in a band like and i'm like well it is like that song and it is that band (laughs) like that's what i thought of (laughs) like uh being in a band was like was playing that music so but circus survive by all means is the the clear cut winner i think (laughs) right like so like so another song by starting line i really like was island or the island it like it was the ultimate feel-good song for being in the this genre, but you're right. Like circus survive. No one sounds like them. No, absolutely. No one. No. And it, if, if they do, it's because they've made a point to copy them. Their guitarists probably are up in my top five favorite guitarists, both of them, uh, because they pull off with a poly melody, right? Like they do. Uh, what do we call it? Polymic. <laughs> oh yeah. A polymic. Like yeah. Yeah. But it, it's like these two melodies that just go on on their own, but like interweave together. Yeah, and every once in a while they come back yeah. into each other. So I do yeah, that. I like, do that a lot with my uh, not not to the degree that they do, but I'll play a lot of like not a lot of stuff. But I have a few songs or did have a few songs that was like six four time, and then they would play yeah. in four four time. So it would kind of uh, get off and it plays really on top cool. of it, but it like you know it it looped back around on itself to where it wasn't. Yeah. 
So no, uh, I, that kind of stuff is awesome. I think we both agree on this one though. It's and that, and then I misspoke. This is where uh, Anthony Green. Uh, yeah. And then did and you I, see that? Did you see that uh, Circus Vibe documentary movie? No. It's called The Travel Hymn on Prime uh, Video. It's the process okay. of that well, um, of them making one of their albums, and it goes on through like um, I guess Anthony Green's kind of like addiction problem. Yeah, yeah, he definitely had some but issues. But it goes but, along like like right when I think he was having a kid, and yeah. So, but Man, yeah, no, no, it's, yeah, it's on a uh, prime video. I believe it's uh, circus survive okay. uh, travel him, which, yeah. So, Ooh. all right. So for this week's, uh, that freaking rocks, we have our winners in the bracket of Hawthorne Heights, Chiodos, Alexis on fire and Circa survive. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we're up against it. My friend with, uh, <laughs> The, the the times we're at two hours right now <laughs> recording. Oh my God, no. <laughs> yeah. Well, we knew it was going to be uh, a long one. So, yeah, we, and so. we might split this up into two episodes too, so it might make yeah. it so. But with that, I guess out there, thank you for listening to us. We appreciate it if you've made it this far. <coughs> as I cough and die. So as we close things out, we'd like to, again, thank all of our listeners out there to um, allowing us to be played between your earballs and for you sticking around and listening to it all. So from us to you, remember to be cool. Stay tuned. And keep it. Keep it. On, on the, rock. the rock. Yeah, my friend. <laughs> we did it. Oh, another episode. Yeah, there's. Oh man, the starting line. I'm sad. I'm sad that Coheed is out too. Yeah, and Kyoto was not a bad thing to do though. Yeah. All right.